I'm back with Jocelyn and Kristen, and we're talking about anxiety. I live with a, someone who has a lot of anxiety. So I had a lot to say. I always have a lot to say. And so did they. And I think this was a really good discussion about anxiety and how to help your kids with it and and how to live with it. And, um, and of course, many other things too. So thanks for listening again. And if you haven't already, my Wife of the Party sweatshirts are available at wifeotp.com. They're really cute. So grab one if you like. I'm getting a lot of requests for a male version. I'll have to work on it. I never imagined in a million years a man would want to wear a sweatshirt with a roller skate on it. But hey, that's fine by me. I'm also working on some coffee mugs. But cool thing about the sweatshirt is Isla drew the art. So she drew the roller skate on the sweatshirt, which I thought was pretty amazing because she was only 12 when she did it. And that makes me doubly proud of the sweatshirt. So uh, people keep asking for merch so they can support my podcast uh, by buying merch. And there you go. One more piece of merch. So thank you so much for listening, for buying a sweatshirt, for sharing this podcast, for showing up every week, for all the emails people send me. I, re- I read every single one. I may not be able to respond to every single one, but I try. So thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this episode on anxiety uh, and parenting. Thanks a lot. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller skated to your door at daylight. It almost seems like you're avoiding me. I'm okay alone, but you got something I need. Well, I got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. I think that we should. When he has long stints of home uh, and the impending doom of I'm leaving again starts, he starts coming unraveled. Mm. So he, he is, uh, he's a lot for me to handle for those few days. And I'm feeling a little exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and how long is the tour then? He, uh, till Thanksgiving. So he'll be home very much here and there. Like this week is easy because it's kind of local. It's just San Fran and LA and San Diego and Phoenix and he's back home. But I think when he needs, leaves the next time he's gone for like two or three weeks and then he'll be home for a couple of days. And then I think when he leaves mid-October, he doesn't come back till Thanksgiving. Wow. So it's a long stretch of, of no family, no normalcy. Like mm-hmm. he's, people don't understand he's a really actually white picket fence guy. Yeah. that has this crazy job and he couldn't really have any other job because I can't imagine him like selling mm-hmm. boats or something. You know, mm-hmm. I can't imagine him being a lawyer or anything like that. So that anxiety that it produces for him to know that he's about to leave makes everything so heightened and, and actually not real. Like he was, he was at one point we had an argument this week and he was like, you are the killer of dreams. You are the killer of dreams. And I was like, not the killer of dreams, supporter of dreams, clearly, but you are out of your mind right now. You're not, you're not speaking. This is not about me. This is about you and what your unraveling is happening. And that's how it's just hitting me because 
he doesn't know where to focus it. So it, it, it sometimes ends up being focused on me, sometimes on his um, management team, sometimes on our gardener, sometimes it just, somebody's going to get it. Right. Because he can't, he can't contain it. Right. And it's, it's all anxiety. So yeah. very apropos that we're talking about anxiety today because I have spent several days with, <laughs> with anxiety <laughs> right next to me. And it's hard for it not to rub off. It is hard for it not to rub off. I don't think of myself as an anxious person. I'm not anxious. I don't really have anxiety the way he has it. But when I was talking to my therapist about my feelings, she went, she was, and things that were happening, like I started stuttering <laughs> and I started like, starting something and not being able to finish it and doing that repeatedly, which is not my personality type. And she was like, all of this is anxiety. And I was like, I don't have any anxiety. I'm not worried about anything, but it does. Mm. It rubs off. And that's why anxiety, I think, is a really interesting conversation because I don't think it's defined well publicly. I think you're right. Um, People don't understand what that word really means. Like there's Anxiety that everybody has. You have test anxiety. I got to talk to my boss today. Anxiety. You know, I have to have a hard conversation with a friend. Anxiety. But then there's another type of anxiety, which my husband and one of my children have, which some of it can't be. It's not situational necessarily. I mean, what I was describing with Bert was situational, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just chemical and they're different. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You you tell me, right? Well, are we have we started? Or yeah, we, we started. Okay, <laughs> I never know how that is. It's like we snuck the start in. We snuck it in. Yeah, we snuck it in. Uh, I mean, I'm not an anxiety expert, so I mean, there's certainly. I mean, this is if you if someone thinks that there is something that isn't just situational, you really should go specifically with that child or with yourself to someone and like have the conversation and I agree. you know really get into it because everyone's different. And so, I mean, Jocelyn and I were talking about it's. It's a tough subject to kind of give blanket advice on right. because it really is, it's important that if someone has unmanageable anxiety, you know, there are, there's medication, there are things that, you know, are beyond just get it together. Right. Um, so it's a very personal thing. But I think, you know, how you started out saying that it's not defined, I do think people kind of throw anxiety out a lot nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, my child has anxiety. My child's anxious. And... In some of those situations, it may not be like a diagnosable anxiety. It may be even appropriate. Like you said, there are certain things like we all have things in our daily lives that cause anxiety and resilience is being able to manage that, like learning tools and skills to be able to manage the things that happen in daily life. And so sometimes parents, if parents buy into the idea that my kid is inappropriately anxious, mm-hmm. then you're just going to kind of feed that. Mm-hmm. And basically the messages that you're giving to your kid can be, yeah, yeah, this is too much for me, for you. You can't handle it. Right. Well, that was Freudian. It's too much for me too, as a parent. Right. right? You know, right. so it's, you know, and it's, and that's a cycle that obviously there is a part of mindset in anxiety where like once it starts to spin, mm-hmm. it if you don't, you know, if you feed it, it'll get worse. Right. So it's just an interesting, I think it's interesting for parents with anxious kids to just consider how they are with anxiety and like whether it's true that their kids are really abnormally anxious or if there are things that their kids, you know, tools, skills their kids could use. And even as a parent, like how do you, how well do you handle anxiety and could you 
could you learn things to be better about it? Right. And I think we've said this before, but it, we probably can't say it enough. Their negative emotions aren't bad. So having a typical amount of having anxiety over a test or having anxiety over something that is truly worthy of anxiety is not a bad thing. And so it, I think it's important too for parents to constantly remind themselves of that. It's hard to sit with somebody who's having a negative emotion, whether it's anxiety or sadness or whatever it is, but it's not necessarily bad. No, it just feels bad. bad. Well, you think about it. The best, the best plants, <laughs> the best fruit producing trees sometimes undergo stress. They have just enough water, not too much water because mm. too much water and they they, they have too much fruit and now nothing is sweet enough, right? So you have to find that balance of, I think, anyway, some stress is really healthy because it teaches you resilience. How are you supposed to learn it? Right. If you don't ever have to practice it. It's just like everything else. It's about practice, right? And all this week of Bert coming a bit undone, at one point he stopped and he said, I think this is one of, this is, I think my, the reason that I drink sometimes is because I don't have the skills to deal with these feelings. Mm, mm-hmm. So I just want them to stop. And I don't know how to make them stop. So I'll just have a drink. And then they calm down. Everything starts calming down. And he said, I don't think that's healthy. I think I'm going to call myself sober curious. Like, I don't want to be sober. <laughs> but I want to be sober curious. I want to see. I want to be curious about how do I deal with something sober? And if I just can't deal with it, then I'll just, I'll help myself. But instead of going, nope, I'm just going to have a drink. I'm going to be sober curious and go, how, how can I handle this sober? Mm-hmm. Not, doesn't really apply to kids, but I wonder if there's some way you can apply something like that. You know, just be curious about what you're feeling right? and see how you can help yourself cope through it. I know kids' natural instinct is not like, let me see how I can cope through this. You know, that's, right. that's not what they do. They feed it, right? Naturally. But yes, but it's interesting what you said because it makes me kind of think of two things of like that curiosity. Mm-hmm. There's, you could apply that to, okay, so like what's going on inside my head that's generating this anxiety? So like what's what's really going on? What am I anxious about? Is it really true? What's in my control that I can do about it? Do I even... I mean, there's a bigger picture here of like, am I in five things that I don't even care so much about? And it really is too much. I mean, it can open up whole conversations about that. But then I think besides just the thinking aspect of it, there's the, if you just turn the curiosity on your body, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, because kids can do that. You know, it's like, we've talked about before, like, what does your anger look like? If you close your eyes, like, you know, what color is it? What is it shaped like? But even just like feeling in your body, what's going on right now? And and using that as a touch point to like sort of get anchored in your body is a starting point for then starting to be present when you feel better. Like right. there are times, our ki- even our really anxious kids aren't always anxious every single moment. No. But what tends to happen is we overlook those times when they are feeling okay and forget to like pay attention to that. Like, how does that feel? How does your neck feel? How, like what's going on with your breathing? What's going on with your muscles to really feel? Because once they can do that, then they can start to learn that, oh, if I close my eyes and really actually take five deep breaths and pay attention to like how the air feels going in, 
and filling up my lungs and then going out, you know, they, it starts to become not this big, scary thing that they have no control over. Right. But it becomes anchored in a place where they actually can affect some change. Right. They have some control over mm-hmm. themselves. Because I, I know my observation of my daughter having a, like, chemical panic attack Mm -hmm. is that she is not in control of anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, her autonomic system is not even fully under control. So, I mean, her heart's pounding. She can't catch her breath. She's, she's like cold sweating. She's sometimes shaking. And it's, I mean, sometimes they wake her up in the middle of the night. They're not even connected to anything situational, Mm -hmm. which I go, this is like your hormones are shifting or your brain's growing or something's going on inside. So, I would imagine how scary that would feel to be inside that body who's just going berserk, yeah. you know, to be able to grab hold to something, some tool. I know when there was a point when she was suffering from anxiety, when I had been trying to help her for like a year, which I think was too long. I think my mm-hmm. mistake as a parent was I waited too long. I kept saying, we'll just keep trying. We'll just keep trying. And in retrospect, we should have probably tried for maybe two or three months and then got some help. Um, but, you know, you live and learn. And at the minute she got help, that doctor gave her f- just four very simple tools. So what are those? Um, one was um, to ask yourself logic questions. Am I safe? Am I, is this really possible? Is there really a monster in my closet? Mm-hmm. Really? Um, one of them was to Uh, be grateful for her anxiety because anxiety keeps you safe and to recognize that it may not always be telling you the truth. So you don't need to shut anxiety down. You just need to be able to evaluate in the moment. Mm -hmm. Is this a necessary feeling for me to have? And is it out of balance? Um, She wanted her to develop a, her anxiety was mostly around sleeping, going to sleep at night. So she had her Uh, have a very regimented bedtime ritual because that tells her body it's time to shut down now. Uh, She explained to me that sleeping is a very active process. People think it's it's very passive that you're laying down, you're restful, but your brain is actually in some ways far more active than when you're asleep. So you just need to tell your body to shift from awake mode to a sleep mode. And the way to do, the best way to do that is have a very kind of ironclad routine. And then for Georgia, Georgia's uh, brain, I was, I I had classical music playing. I would have her distract herself by counting backwards from 100 and then up to 100 or visualizing a beautiful garden with fairies and butterflies. And I was trying to activate her mind toward positive thoughts and uh, stimulus. And for the way her brain works, the doctor told me she needed the opposite. She needed all stimulation to be removed. So she needed a white noise. That mm-hmm. we, a white noise just became part of her routine. Make sure she has one on an app on her phone. So if she's sleeping over at someone's house, she can have white noise. And that's another kind of anchor for her. When she hears that, it kind of triggers her brain to go, okay, time to, time to slow down. So maybe not all those are, would apply when she's at school and feeling ang- anxious. But definitely the logic thinking and the being grateful for your anxiety and saying, thank you so much for keeping me safe. Is this actually what I need to be feeling right now? Mm-hmm. Um, is the ceiling falling down? Are the heels on fire? No, then you're probably okay. 
Um, and so all those tools I was giving her was stimulating her brain instead of shifting it into the different active mode. Now, Isla started having sleep anxiety and the doctor gave me the exact opposite advice. Her brain is completely opposite of George's. So the white noise was allowing her brain to go berserk. It, there was nothing for her to grasp onto to relax. So Isla needed a distraction, whereas Georgia needed distractions removed. So the whole time Isla's having sleep anxiety, I'm like, I'm telling you, Dr. Nicely said this would work. I don't understand why this is not working. And then finally I went, you know what? We're going to go back and see Dr. Nicely. And she said, nope, her brain needs the opposite. She's very visual. Isla's very verbal. So Georgia's very verbal. Isla's very visual. So Isla sees, her imagination goes crazy. So she needs to grab on to a piece of classical music. Uh, she needs um, maybe a nightlight or something that she can see the room, whereas Georgia needed total darkness to remove the stimulation. Never would have figured that out. It's so fascinating so great. because, I mean, this is, we're off topic here now, but I have an easier time falling asleep if the lights are on. And I had, and I had terrible insomnia for years. And finally, I just got a medication that works because I dress so many things. But um, I had somebody recently tell me, do not listen to meditations in English because of the way that your brain works. It will not work for you. You need to listen to them in a foreign language. Interesting. Because if you can understand the words, you will stay awake listening to the words forever. And I right. was like, I haven't tried it yet because I'm on a medication that works. Right, so, right. But um, but the, like bright, uh, all the lights on in the house, I will fall asleep so much faster than if you turn them all off. How interesting. You know, it's so I weird. just love that you share that though, because I think it's so helpful for people to hear that it really is... It's personal. That's it's why individual. you got to go in and like get someone who specializes in this to help. Yes. And why the curiosity piece is so important to, yeah, to like really exactly. be curious about who your kid is and how they tick or who you are and how you tick. And then what did they tell you about your response when it happens? Anything like? Um, well, with Georgia, I, I, this is one of my parenting regrets in life. I was tough loving her a bit through this um, and going, uh, cause I had sleep anxiety as a kid. I, I felt so unsafe in my, in my house that that's how I, I couldn't sleep either. I was convinced there was a vampire in my room until I was old, like embarrassingly old until I was like 13. I was convinced. Um, and I was terrified that this was my last night on the planet. This is it. I'm the undead tomorrow. I will be <laughs> bitten tonight and this is over. Kiss me goodbye. I would sleep with like, I would sleep so only my eyes and my nose were out of my covers every single night. And I would just shiver and just wait to fall asleep. So at a certain point, I started counting backwards and I count backwards from 100 and count up from 100 until I would fall asleep because it would just keep my mind off that damn vampire that was somewhere in my room. Um, so I just was like, I completely understand how you feel. I had these feelings too. I was terrified at night too. Just do what I did. I don't Then you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're not trying hard enough. Well, then you're not breathing. Well, then you're not blah. You know, I just kept going, well, then she's just not doing it. And now it's a, like a battle of wills. I was so wrong. I was completely dead wrong. And I've apologized to her a million times. And one of the best things that ever happened is... In our first session with Dr. Nicely, we were talking about how we were handling this and what I was teaching her. And Dr. Nicely leaned in like on her knees to Georgia and went, your mom's been giving you the wrong tools. And Georgia went, ha, 
I told you, you never believed me. And I was like, let me apologize to you now. You're right. I didn't believe you. And I'm sorry, but I'm not. This is why we're here. Because I don't know clearly what I'm doing. Um, But yeah, that gave her, I think, as much relief as the tools. Is that she told me in front of her, I was completely wrong. Which I was. And I feel really bad about it. You know, that makes me just think that so many aspects of psychology today, I think if you just are curious, Mm -hmm. people know a lot. Like, you know, it's the matter of just going to someone and asking the right questions and continuing because people really do know a lot about how to help people with just so many things that used to be mysteries that you used to just have to suck it up and deal with. And there's just a lot of help out there. There is. And, you know, to find, I want to do a podcast with you at some point about finding the right person, how you do that, how you mm-hmm. suss out who's right, who's not, like in your own feelings, you know, and thoughts. Because I think sometimes that's really the only thing you can trust. Yeah. Someone who works for Georgia and Isla may not work for another kid. Right. This woman knocked it out of the park for both kids. I mean, Georgia saw her three visits and said, she said, I think you got it. Come back to see me if you get off, off track or you have any questions, but I shouldn't need to see you again, which is really what I think should happen, mm-hmm. right? If there's some kind of maintenance that needs to happen, fine, but Georgia's never had to go back to see her. And then the same with Isla, she saw her twice. But how great that those girls know now that like every once in a while something comes up in life that's bigger than I don't, I'm not a, like if you're them speaking, I'm not yeah. an expert in this, but maybe there's someone who is, you go to them some people may think that going to a therapist or psychologist or whatever is weird, but like totally helped. Yeah. And then you, so you can do that again. If it's the same to me as going to the dentist. If you have a toothache, right. what, are you going to sit with it? No, you go to the expert, you get it dealt right. with because you're not going to do, you know, frontier dentistry on yourself, you know, pull a tooth <laughs> or fill it with your, you know, tools in your shed. Right. Like my dad might have been known to do, but whatever. Um, you're going to go seek help. I don't I hate the stigma that surrounds yeah. mental health. I hate it so much because it's so easy to yeah. me. As hard as it is, it's so easy to just go, could someone help me, please? I don't know what I'm doing. And even I'm one to talk. It took me a year to even recognize with Georgia that I was failing massively and did not have the right tools. And I'm not, I'm not therapy opposed. I've been right. in therapy forever. It just didn't, it didn't occur to me that this was something that I needed help with. It really didn't. And Bert actually was the reason I got help. He said to me, I think you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so I think you need an expert in this. You don't know what it feels like to be in our body. He kept saying. And I was like, you're right. Uh, actually, you're you're right. Because George is wired exactly like Bert. And I don't know what that feels like. And that's when I went, okay. Let me see who I can find. Yeah. Anyway. What and we say? talked to you about just like parenting blind spots where, you know, that was one of your parenting blind totally. spots. And, and there was, you know, the professional help, but also Bert going, hey, you've got a blind spot over here in this area. Right. And he was absolutely right. And I think that's like one of the things that happens when you are a therapist. Like one of the things that we're trained to do is kind of is try, which we don't always succeed at, but like to get out of our own way. So when we have something that's like, oh, I get that that happened to me. That's like one of those times to be like, oh, no, no. 
Don't like get more curious because right. it's human nature. When you can relate, mm-hmm. then you think you, it's not that you stop being curious, but you think you get it mm-hmm. and you think you know how to solve it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But like we don't just because we can relate doesn't necessarily mean it's the same thing. I think that's such a great kind of point for people to hear. That is great. Because we turn here. off, right? We turn off. It's like, yeah. oh, I get that. I had that. And then it's like, well, wait, wait hold on. There's so much more. Right. Maybe. That's very true. I hadn't thought about that in that way. But you're right to 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 disconnect your not to project, I guess. Exactly. In some way it's a projection. I know what this is about. I got gotcha. you. Yep. But you don't. And like so uh, you know, it's like perception checking. Like it's always such a good habit if that comes up to be like, okay, so hold on a second. So this is what it's making me think about because mm. I had an experience of this but like, how is yours different or the same? Or like, does right. that hit? Because it's really useful information. Right. Because now you have more words to try to understand better, but just, you know, throw it out there as a question instead of an assumption. Right. It's hard to not know it all. Especially when we're supposed to. We're parents. Yeah. We're, you know, and we, you want to be able to fix this, especially when your child's in pain. You Absolutely. just want to be able to fix it. You do. And you want, you want... You want an answer, right? Or uh, for me, anyway, I want an action or an answer or a solution or something I can I can grab, you know, and sometimes yeah. it's not there. It's just not there. And also, like, we don't want anything to really be wrong, like bigger than we can handle with our kids. Right. Like, that's really super scary. Right. It's, it's for me, especially, like, there's that moment of like, oh, my God, what if something is really wrong that I don't know how to handle? And then it's like, okay, so hold on. Maybe someone else can. Right. But it's that it's really jolting at first. It's and maybe scary. I can handle more than I think I can. Yeah. I think that happens a lot, too. In that, you know, I think we underestimate our strength as as beings, just as a, a human being. The resilience and the strength that's possible in every single person may not be equal in every person, but the strength that's possible in every person, I don't think we, um, I think it scares people to think of how strong they actually could be or, or how resilient they could be or what they could... Um, learn. I don't know why, but I feel like that's scary. I know when people have are confronted with issues and they start shrinking. And I think, but isn't that when you should start growing? Shouldn't you get so, okay, well, this is what I'm getting. Give me more. But you have an experience of facing some really kind of identity shattering things in your life and being able to use those and turn it around and grow. You know, you've you some there was something in you that just moved toward that and, and you mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. And I think the scary thing for people is when there's something really big that it's going to like shatter your sense of who you thought you were. Mm-hmm. If you people don't if you don't have something to replace it with, you can't let go of what you got. Uh, right? Uh, yeah. So it's too scary. It's like you're just going to cease to exist. You're going to you can't. Right. So that's why having someone else who knows the process right. doesn't even have to be a professional, but someone who's been there before to show you there's a little breadcrumb trail and then we right. can replace it with something. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done that, then you get it. Then it can become like a fantastic addiction. Like, oh, I can keep getting better and better and better. But I think that first time with really big stuff, mm-hmm. it's like this is the only thing you know. Right. And it's just not even in, it's, you're blind. You have no idea there could possibly be, you know, you're just, you're just, what if you're just broken in there, then that's just it. 
There's you can't replace it. Oh, I can't accept that. That's just not true. I don't accept that. It's not true. It's not true. But I do get it. Like the first time that you do have to replace something, and it also is all of a sudden everything about you before that can feel like a lie, mm-hmm. right? Like you're all of who you were was yeah. wrong. Yeah. But it's not true. No, no, it's not true. No, it's not true. And also it's point. I find it pointless to spend that much time looking back when there's, it's so much more exciting to go, well, what else was I wrong about? Cause like what else is going to get better? Right. If I, if I fix this or replace this and if I remain open yeah. right, to always and remain the open. The cool thing to me is that there are so many people in the world right now, or at least in this country, having having these kind of awakenings. Of yeah. Like there's it's just a it's just a trend. Right? People are I mean, it's fascinating to me. There are these groups and like women I think have been doing it more because women tend to talk to each other and mm-hmm. help each other and talk about more personal things, but there are these groups of men all over the country like being super vulnerable and growing. And I just, I find it so inspiring. Like if people will just like take that one step and put it out there, you'll find people who will support you in that. I think so. Yeah. It's a lot easier to find people. I think now Mm -hmm. everybody stayed in their same community. Now we're all shifting around and moving to places that we kind of resonate with as a people a little more often, maybe not everywhere, but I think more than in the past people are, kind of willing to shift their lives to kind of be more authentic. Yeah. Um, but back to the anxiety, something you were saying made me think about, you know, the um, if, if you create this new pe- person, the person you thought you were ceases to exist, something like that mm-hmm. you just said. I wonder if that is why people don't address anxiety issues. Like I'm talking about adults now. Um, because like my husband, who doesn't seek help or therapy to to learn to cope with that because this is who he is and he doesn't he wouldn't know who he is without those things. And what if he wasn't funny? What if he wasn't funny? That would be that Well, would I mean, be, no, it's like that that's I'm sure is what he thinks. I mean you yeah. don't, or maybe even just subconsciously, and I don't even know your husband, but I'm yeah, just yeah. saying it's like it's like a lot of his life really works for him. Yeah. And it's the anxiety is a big part of it. So right. like that's the thing for people. Like, what if I fix this? And then like all the other stuff doesn't go you know. away. But it doesn't, does it? It certainly doesn't have to. No. But again, you have to, you got to, re- it's work. You got to replace it with something, right. you know? So it's like, you know, it's a path. <laughs> Potty break <laughs> for Jocelyn. Potty break for Jocelyn. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it's like, it's just, it's scary. It certainly yeah. does. Certainly. But like, you know, what if, for example, just taking him and again, I actually don't know him. Yeah, I yeah, met no. him like three times, but like, you know, the drinking thing, uh-huh. you know, the only thing that really works for the anxiety is the drinking. And so like, what if he really addressed the anxiety and then didn't need to drink anymore? And then like now, like, do you have your same friends? Are you even in the same situations where it was like, that's yes. a huge life change. Yes. And I'm not saying that would happen. I'm just saying it's got to be up. You got to look at everything. It's like, wow, how would my life change if I, you know? Yeah. So how do you, how do you apply that to children? Um, I think the, I just think these things, applying the curiosity bit is the, is the most important thing. Like if we as parents feel like we don't have to have the answers. We just have to have the like loving, non-judgmental space to just ask the questions and like find out from our kids what 
what's really going on in their heads. Mm -hmm. And again, like I'm not, I don't want to belittle something that's like a severe anxiety disorder and just say like, if you just talk to your kid, that's not what I'm trying to say. But it's always a good thing to just like be the place where your kid can explore Mm -hmm. totally in a non-judgmental way and like with no agenda. Because I do think there's a lot to be said for the culture that we live in. We mm-hmm. live in such a high performance culture yes, that we do. our kids are expected to perform academically and athletically and on the stage and all this stuff. And they're competing from mm-hmm. the day they're four. For what, yeah. by the way? Yeah, and for it's, what? And, and for what? And not in a way that's necessarily even like activating their personal strengths or right. talents or what they're going to want to do for a living. Right. So it's this like soul crushing performance culture. Yes. That anxiety is totally appropriate. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, totally appropriate. Right. Yes. So maybe, maybe there, maybe there's some big things as a parent, like expectation wise that we would learn from our kids that like some of these things just don't need to happen. Like just don't need to happen. And maybe that's okay. Yeah. I think I function more like that than most people. I'm like, you don't want to do it. We don't do it. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, so many people who was talking to me. Someone just said to me, she ha- also has a sophomore in high school. You know, it matters what classes they take in 10th and 11th grade for college. And I went, I don't, I don't really give a shit about that. Right. I want her to enjoy high school. Right. And if it means she goes to community college for a year to get into a school that she wants to go into, I really don't give a shit. Right. It doesn't matter to me. I want her to enjoy her time there. She's a B student. Bring it. I'm cool with that. That's okay. But I don't live in a group that thinks that way. Most Mm -hmm. people live for college. They don't even care about whether you enjoy high school or not, I think, which is such a travesty. High school was a blast. Yeah. I had so much fun in high school. I didn't worry about college until like, December of my senior year. Are you going to college? Oh, yeah. I guess I should probably (laughs) figure that out. Okay. And I went to my local college. It was not that big of a deal like we have now. And even softball. Kids are playing softball 12 months a year, two travel teams. And my kid's on the high school softball team. And I'm like, nope, we get one private coaching for one hour a week. And she'll go to her three, her two practices a week. And that's all we're doing. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not going to. When is she supposed to study? When is she supposed to hang out with friends? When is she supposed to use that season pass at Universal? When is she supposed to hang out with her family and learn the really important things that she's not learning in school? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. (coughs) Excuse me. It doesn't make sense to me either. And I think that people are going to figure out that it doesn't actually work. It doesn't work. I I think in the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to realize that you know, all of this pressure and it starts in kindergarten. It starts so early. Absolutely. It causes so much anxiety. And I mean, parents walk around being anxious too. I mean, look how many anxious just adults there are in the world. I mean, it's just, it's it's a tough, it's a tough culture. It's a tough time to be a kid, I think, Mm -hmm. culturally, because there are so many things that no one, no, no one's had to deal with all the social media stuff. And, um, and this anxiety that is because I shift into second gear when all of the surrounding parents are in fourth or fifth gear. And now my kid is anxious because I'm not in fourth gear. Mm-hmm. And then I go, but I'm not going to get in fourth gear. Right. We don't give a, we don't care about fourth gear. Fourth gear sucks. We're going to stay in second. Well, that's anxiety producing. Mm, that's trying to relieve the yeah, anxiety yeah. produces more anxiety because we're not keeping up with the Jones. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, Bert's like, don't ever do homework. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Bert's exactly like me. Yeah, right? no, he's <laughs> like, uh, exactly. homework. He's like, you know how much homework I did? None. I did none. And my mom didn't care. And look at me, I'm totally fine. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I think you should follow the rules. That part of society is following the rules. We're going to do our homework, but don't stress about it. You know, they don't even grade it. They just see that you did it. So just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's about learning. You should take pride in learning. That's the point. It's not that it's homework, but whatever. Uh, you know, part of that, though, I just want to say is that there are so many um, different paths to get places that I think oftentimes kids just in their little box of school are like, well, you go to, mm-hmm. you know, you go to a high school to go to college. And just the other day, I found out that a girlfriend of mine who lives in Montana is sending her daughter to an online high school <laughs> and it costs $900 a year. Wow. which is, I know, and it's ranked like really well. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I mean, of course it's out there. Of course yeah. that's there, but we don't think about that. And it's considered a high school diploma. Sure. It's the same. So it's just this other like interesting path. And there's so many, you can send your kids to community college at 16. There's so many ways to get to where you want to go. You don't even, I just don't get why, this pressure is there because if that doesn't work out, take a different road. Well, that's the thing too. There's, I think they're supposed to know where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? Well, they only oh, know the top yeah. 10, whatever schools that everyone knows. I mean, cause well, no, I don't even mean college. I mean, oh, what mean path like, in life, oh, right? Who well, are you how, supposed to be? What are you going to like to know that? I don't know well, that. Yeah. I go off on this subject. It drives me crazy when people say, what do you want to be to a kid? Yeah. Because first of all, they're going to be 500 things. They're going to yeah. be so many things. <laughs> and it rare is the child who at the age of 10 is like, I'm going to be, a, you know, astronaut or I'm gonna, well, they yeah. all say that. They all say that. But, right. you know, who knows exactly what yeah. they want? Isla's has forever was like, I want to be a zookeeper. And I was like, bring it on, baby. I'm with you. I love those big cats. Let's zookeeper it up. How do we get that done? I want to be a zookeeper. And now she's like, oh, I don't want to be a zookeeper anymore. They don't make any money. And I'm like, who told you that? <laughs> who told you they don't <laughs> make any money? the dream. Right? You can still be a zookeeper. You can make it work. Sell Avon on the side. Something. You know, you can be a zookeeper. Don't do that. You're totally going to live vicariously through that. That's how I am with lifeguarding. I want my kids to be a lifeguard so bad. And then Junie goes, they make $27 an hour. And I was like, first of all, if you are 18 and you're making $27 an hour, yeah. you are doing so well. That's so funny. They make $27 an that's hour. Does she, she think that's not much? Yeah. She was like, you can't live off of that. Which, oh like, in Los how does she even you, know? You can't, right? Not in LA. I think the lifeguards told her that i oh think the God. lifeguards were like you can't live off of this you need to job. I was like, like you can live off of it you just can't live in los angeles you may have to right. have a couple roommates yeah. and share rooms not just the apartment um so then with anxiety with kids i think this is the way i always try to approach parenting right is to let them know that it's normal Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong even if you have really bad anxiety there's nothing wrong with that that that's okay I know I have a friend whose daughter is struggling a little bit in middle school socially and her instinct is to remove her and that is so not my instinct my instinct is to parent her through it and to say now she's not getting bullied there's nothing extreme going on she's just uncomfortable in her social skin right now and so why would moving her matter she'd still be uncomfortable in her social skin she's in eighth grade 
90% of the eighth grade is uncomfortable in their social skin. So I think it's so much healthier to just parent them through it and say, this is normal. And I can give you so many examples of how this is normal, you know? And then when they do it and they come out on the other side, they have an example of getting through it that they can look back on. I mean, there are cases where removing your child is appropriate. I think that needs to be said. But also, so then it's not just grin and bear it, like white white knuckle it and get through it. It's So what are the things that you can do? Like, how can you take care of yourself? So you mentioned, I think last time, talking about like, spending as much time as you possibly can in your strengths, like in things that feel good, that come easy to you, that you feel competent at, you know, whatever those are, or that just distract you, you know, so as a parent, you can really help balance out the yucky feeling time with the good feeling time. I mean, so I was thinking when we were just talking about anxiety before, like there's this whole, you know, it's a great topic to bring up of self-care, right? Like as parents, Mm. do we really, do our children see us taking care of ourselves <laughs> and do they hear right? us talking no. about it? No, right. not, not at all. I no. mean, that's the thing. Like there, <laughs> oh, there's no time. Like, you know, yeah, you can as a kid, but like I got no time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like it's one of those things like, yes, y- let's name it. This is a really tough time socially. I believe in my heart of hearts. It will pass. If things get worse, we'll do something drastic. Like I'm here for you. And these are all the things that we can do to make it better. And there's what we just talked about, like trying to, you know, balance it out with better feeling stuff. But also, you know, there are, there are, you can break down social interactions, right? You can, you can break it down. There are skills kids can learn Mm -hmm. to make friends. It's not, I mean, it's sounds kind of dorky and clunky, but the truth is like, not everyone knows. And there are some things that can actually help kids whatever that is. So, I mean, there, there are lots of things that can be done proactively, I think for, and if a child gets that I'm here for you, we're doing all these things. I'm not just saying, you know, buck up then. I mean, they're, they're, the deck is stacked in their favor that they'll come through it. I would think, or that they know there's like a safe word, like that, like, look, if you really say it's bad and it's it's not tolerable, then let's look at what the options are for that. Because there are sometimes, Absolutely, like, yeah. yeah. There are sometimes when I would, just to show my kid how much I cared, that, like, life's not supposed to be that hard at 14. Right. I would move to an island. I don't know. I would do something yeah, yeah. drastic. You know, yeah. I watch I, some of my acquaintances, you know, have had kids that age with, like, really bad eating disorders or, you know, Aww. and I, I just, or really bad drinking problems or suicide attempts. And it's like, life would stop. Yeah. And I would say, yes. like, this is, something's got to give. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So another thing you just said was modeling behavior mm-hmm. is important too. I think, I think not only modeling, but not reacting to their emotion. You know, that's how I manage my husband because he comes at me at an 11 and I stay at a two. I'm, does that yeah, make sense? I think just in the God, this is so hard to do, but being able to be calm mm-hmm. about the bad feelings that your kids are having um, is so important for modeling that you as a parent are still stable and okay. And you're, you're still present and you're not freaking out alongside them. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's hugely important. And I think there is something a lot to be said for normalizing, like you're saying, like a lot of people, they may look really great on the outside, but you know, it's really super common for people to have be insecure. They just show it, you know, or cover it up in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just to be really aware that as parents, sometimes we buy in 
And when mm. we buy in, it's just exacerbated. Our kids can feel like, oh, my my mom really maybe thinks that I really am socially awkward. Like I'm not going to figure this social. There's something wrong with my social skills. Like right. I'm not. Maybe I'm not really not good at this. So you right. just, you know, want to make sure that as parents that we're like, it's not the end of the world. Like we're right. the one who's like, you know what? These things happen. We can get through this. We'll, whatever it takes, we'll get through this together. There's nothing wrong with you. To be the well of wisdom, right? Yeah. Instead of their friend in some ways. I think sometimes not that what you're saying is implying that a person would be their friend, but I think sometimes parents get caught up in what's happening for their kids and not an adult space mm-hmm. in either a parent space or a child space. They enter their children's space as either a parent or a child as opposed to just staying an adult. Right. And when you when you're a parent, then you look at things more judgmentally maybe or more authoritatively and trying to fix it and trying to fix it as a child you look at it more from like i don't know like a victim point of view this is the way my brain quantifies it or whatever or qualifies it um but as an adult you have a clearer vision right there's no ego no no projection no past no present i mean no future no past just being present and saying What's really going? Let's let's figure out what's what's the facts here. That's what to do with my kids here. I don't want to. I mean, not that I don't want to hear their emotions, but I say I, I've heard your emotions. Now let's just talk about the facts. Mm-hmm. The fact is, you're feeling sad. That's a fact. Your fact is, you felt like your best friend your best friend didn't sit with you at lunch yesterday, and you don't know why. That's a fact. It's not a fact that she hates you and she doesn't want to be around you ever and she has a brand new set of friends because you have no conversation, no interaction that proves that. So let's remove that and stick with the facts. Here's the facts. Now, from the facts, what can we deduce from these facts? And now, what do we need to fill in the blank with maybe asking a question or having a conversation or inviting her back to your table tomorrow? What action can you take to answer those questions that but the underlying assumption which i love about what you're doing with that is you're you you bring an assumption that we can we can get through this like if we oh, yeah. figure out the facts like we can learn from, and to me that goes all the way back to the resilience piece like if we approach life from everything can be a bouncing off point for something better like we can learn from everything even something that's like if we look back at the worst experiences in our lives yes they they brought some good yes and so i think that's the the thing is like to to remember that and like with our kids there if you tell it to them it's not going to mean anything but to bring that as a parent knowing that you know what we're going to find a way through this and we're going to look back on this then you're gonna you're not going to buy into the drama of it you're right. going to do what you're talking about right you know what's there i don't think we've talked about this here but um but you and i have talked Kristen and i have talked about this the um idea of like having a script for when your kid brings you something and you're overwhelmed on it oh. i think is really good like what's the script well i mean it's something like you know I, I have to think about that let me get back to you because i think that oftentimes if a kid brings you something really big and you don't know what to do like, what do you do? You clinch up. You're like, holy crap, I can't solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And so the script, you know, is just just buy some time, just right. buy some time. Like, <laughs> like, I don't have an answer for you. If you can do it calmly. Great. Do it calmly. That's the best thing is, you know, I don't have the answer for that right now. Um, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to come back to you and talk to you and we'll talk about solutions right. because then you as a parent still, 
you know, you're still an authority figure. You're still in control. Right. You're calm. Right. But even if you can't do it calmly, because someone called us out on a post recently about how it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all great to think you can do everything calmly, but it just doesn't always work that way. And I think sometimes that ends up being even better if you just screw up and just totally buy into it and get all bent out of shape and worked up and freaked out and make it worse. If you go away from that and take a few deep breaths and figure out that like, okay, so hold on. Right. There's a better way of looking about this. And you like come back and you right. can model that. That's maybe even more powerful. You know right. what? I got super triggered by that because of this. But now I've realized that there's a whole other way to think about this that's going to serve you and everyone better. Right. We Fine. just had that experience twice in my house since Bert's been home for so long. I just talked about it on my last podcast. So people that are listening already know. But Georgia was um, at the Americana with some friends and... Um, they decided to take the bus home from the mall to our house, which I don't have a problem with her taking public transportation. She just didn't tell us. And so when Bert found out that she was on the bus, he lost his mind on the phone with her cursing. He's never cursed at her ever, not ever. And he was like, what the fuck? You're on a fucking bus. How the (laughs) fuck did you get a fucking bus? Are you fucking kidding me? Get the fuck off this fucking bus right fucking now. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that Bert doesn't know how to take public transportation. So he's probably (laughs) like, he's probably like, I don't even know how to get on the bus. Right, right. And he was like, and I was standing in front of him going, stop cursing. Stop cursing. The whole time he was saying, I was like, just stop cursing. You can say what you're saying. Just stop cursing. And he could not. He was at, he was on the moon. Couldn't bring him down. So I go pick Georgia up. Georgia had also left her phone at the mall. So I had to pick her up and go back to the mall to find her phone. And when we got home with her phone, we, we were at a friend's house. I called Bert at the friend's house and said, I am not cool with you cursing at her. I am not cool. I am cool with your emotions. I'm cool with you being that upset. But that is terrible parenting. You cannot curse at your daughter. The fuck I can't curse at my daughter. She's my daughter. She needs to understand how upset I am. How else am I supposed to uh, um, show her how upset I was that she didn't tell us she got on the fucking bus? And I went, anyway, but with curse words, because that's bad. Because now you're teaching her that she could be in a relationship with someone that curses at her. And I'm not cool with it. So you need to apologize. No, I'm not apologizing. I was like, okay, well, I've said what I need to say. He'll either do it or he won't. And I'll parent that. With both people. So we get to our friend's house. Georgia walks in the door and Bert goes, hey, baby, I really shouldn't have cursed at you. I'm really sorry about that. That was really not okay. But I was very angry and I needed you to understand how angry I was. And I just didn't know how else to do it. So I'm wow. really sorry I cursed at you. That gives me goosebumps. That's and so I was powerful. behind Georgia going, what <laughs> just happened? <laughs> oh, my God. From the I'm not fucking apologizing. Literally 10 minutes later. And she just melted. I mean, just was like, thank you so much, Dad. And I talked to her on the drive over. I said, you know, I want you to know I'm I'm always on Dad's team. But on this issue, I'm not on Dad's team. He should not have cursed at you. And I'm not okay with that. And I'm going to speak to him about that because it's not okay. So I want you to 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 try and release that from what you received from him because that wasn't okay. But he was angry and this is why and this is why we were angry and blah, blah, blah. And 
So I was trying to ease her a little bit because she was really shaken up because her dad's never yeah. taught her. He's never spoken to her, not ever cursed at her. It was such a departure from who she knows him to be. Mm-hmm. So that when she walked in and he did that, she was like, oh, thank God, it's just my dad. Okay, he just made this one mistake. I get it, I get it. That's yeah. really what happened and they just moved on very quickly. Yeah. So it is We can always hear it. When someone genuinely apologizes, it's done. It's done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can feel it. It's just done. And so not being afraid to screw up as a parent, I think is half the battle, right? Yep. Is if you screw it up, you can always fix it. I mean, obviously, if you screw up constantly and right. it's your constant, then that's not true. But something like that, Bert doesn't curse at her like that, ever. He never has. So he gets a pass. With the apology, he gets a pass. Now, if it happens again, Mama Bear is going to have a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it will. I think it was a lesson learned on his part, too. Yeah. That he crossed a line he shouldn't have crossed. You may be able to talk to another adult that way. But you really, really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. <laughs> not I did really. that to my daughter recently. I I... I I um over something so dumb it was even dumber and I threw a hairbrush across the room and said what the fuck is happening here what the fuck (laughs) and I mean I had to go back and really apologize and I was like I'm just like I'm gonna make a rule right now I'm probably gonna break it but I'm gonna try really hard to just not even raise my voice because it was totally unacceptable (laughs) and what did she didn't she say something funny she probably but the next time that I did like have to talk to her about something, she in that conversation, she goes, thank you, mommy, for not yelling at me. I'm really <laughs> glad you didn't yell at me. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. I know I felt so bad. I can't promise I won't throw another hairbrush, though. I probably feel won't so good. Throw a- <laughs> Just throw something. Feels amazing. It did feel so good. But the minute I did it, I was like, what is happening here? It what feels amazing to throw here? something or to punch something. It feels so good and it's so unhealthy. But you know what? The thing is, I feel like if they learn it at home, it's easier in life. Yes. You know, yeah. when your boss yells at you, then you don't necessarily fall apart in the way that you would had you never been yelled at. You know, not that you want to walk around yelling at your kids, but to to figure out a way to make it a positive learning experience when you do lose your temper like that. Because um, I've definitely lost my temper. with them. I've never cursed at them, but I've definitely yelled at my kids, um, even though they accuse me of yelling constantly, right. that's not what I mean. I've actually <laughs> no, you yelled. know you right. know when you yell, you no. know when you've crossed the line. Yes. Like, yeah, I yeah, have sure. yelled at them before and then apologized to them later, saying I'm so sorry, raised my voice. That wasn't appropriate. Let's go back to the message that was in the yelling. That <laughs> was, was appropriate. Yeah, right. still valid. <laughs> yes. Right, but you yeah. sort of. Uh, I mean, I find that. When I have crossed a line, I'm like, I, it's hard to even go back to the message and the yelling because me crossing the line was the bigger issue. Like me crossing the line is for me, it, in my, it, yeah, especially yeah. this last time, this was over the fact that she doesn't brush her hair. Like I was trying to brush her hair and it would all come up. <laughs> so mad. It's been going on for years. I'm like, just brush it, brush your hair. Right? So I couldn't even come back to it. I was like, you brushing your hair, not brushing your hair is not the point. I should not throw the hairbrush across the room. Oh, you're a bigger person than me. Oh. I would be <laughs> like, the point the is, <laughs> if you had brushed your hair, I would not have thrown the brush. <laughs> so whose fault is it now, huh? <laughs> Maybe we should have shaved your head. That's, I did. Yeah. I did say that too yeah. in the in the in my 
temper tantrum, I did say, maybe we should shave your hair. And she she was like, you can cut it short, mom. You can cut it short. <laughs> Don't shave it. You can't shave it. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't going to shave it. Oh, my gosh. Well, any more advice for people with anxiety, with kids with anxiety? Well, I went to the bathroom yeah. once, so I'm not really sure what all got talked about. No, but we um, did, did we, we talk you came about, back and you heard that, but there was another thing that did we, we talk about. Did we talk about um, like the narrative therapy piece of it? Oh, no. That's interesting. So um, did we talk about narrative therapy in here one other so. time? I, the I, idea of like externalizing the problem. No, I don't know this at all. I think this is a really, it's a, I just love it anyway, but I think for something like anxiety, it's a great, it's a great example of using it is like the idea with the narrative therapy is that you are you're not your anxiety we're trying to create space like in our head so that we can that's the thing about being human is that we have the ability to witness how we think mm. like animals don't witness how they think they just think and so narrative therapy is about externalizing the problem so instead of um i have really bad anxiety it's like well you know what i'm having this relationship with anxiety right now oh. that i'm trying to find what tools work for me. Mm. So it's another way to help you get curious, but it's like anxiety is this thing that you are interacting with, but it's not, it's not you. Right. It's just, and like, eventually you may not even have a relationship with anxiety. You know, you may, but so it's just this idea that you talk about it. So like they do it with eating disorders where they teach like really quickly, if, a, if someone goes into like inpatient for eating disorders, they teach the parents to talk about well, that's the eating disorder making me say that. That's the eating disorder making me behave this way. That's the eating disorder that's sort of like hijacked my brain right now. But I realize that I don't want to do that. So there's the part of you that doesn't want to be the eating disorder. And then there's the part of you that like listens to the eating disorder sometimes. Right. And it's just helpful because there it's not all of you. Mm -hmm. And so you're you can just try to grow the times that you are not listening to the anxiety eating disorder or anxiety yeah. and like you said with anxiety sometimes it's there to protect you right so sometimes you already said this sometimes it's doing you a favor hey maybe there's something i really need to be worried about here right maybe this is actually too much for my body like i'm feeling right, too stressed right. i need to quit this stupid softball team right maybe not you know but so it's just a it's just a really helpful way to put some space between and like give you kind of a sense of control right. over like that it's a choice okay right. so are you going to what are you going to choose to do now that your anxiety wants you to do this? Mm -hmm. Are you going to do it or are you going to do something different? Right. Interesting. One yeah. of the things that I like about it is just, we've talked about this before, the idea of labels. And I, I love the idea of naming the emotion, giving a label to the emotion. But when you give a label to yourself or to your kid, it's really hard to then Separate. detach from mm -hmm. that. And so I had it happen where someone, it was just yesterday, said made a comment to me about my son being anxious. And I, I mean, the timing on this is so great. And I never, there was like that moment of me going, oh my God, I have a kid who's anxious. And then I was like, no, no, no. He has anxiety about one issue. It's mm. appropriate for him to have anxiety about one issue. We can address it. I know what it is. I know how to handle this. He is not anxious. We right. all have anxiety sometimes. And the same goes with like loneliness or being shy or any of those things. If you, if you as a parent are talking to your kid and, you know, saying, well, you're a shy child, how are they ever going to detach with it from right. that? So maybe they are, you know, learning how to, how to, you know, be more, be friendlier. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what they're doing. And in five years, they're going to be the most, you know, popular person on at school. But that's not going to happen if they're always the shy kid. Right. 
That's interesting. So it's not, not label yourself to just detach what's going on and label that as a detached piece of yourself. Is that, is mm-hmm. that what you mean? Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think, I mean, I was a really remarkably shy child. And I don't think that people would say that about me now. No. And, and, you know, you, you just have to give people and yourself the room to grow on that. Right. So I loved the idea of, you know, don't like those labels don't apply to the person. They apply to behavior that you may exhibit some of the time. Right. And even, I mean, it's a re- even a powerful, a powerful enough idea to combat like serious hallucinations and, you know, serious mental illnesses. I mean, I have a person in my life who was able to like start witnessing how putting some space between the part of his brain that heard voices and the part of his brain that realized those were voices and Mm -hmm. they weren't, they weren't the part of his brain that he wanted to act on or pay attention to. And so it's just really interesting. There's so much power there in not being like bad or wrong, or we have to get rid of this anxiety, or we have to get rid of these voices, or we have to, it's like, well, this is what it is. Let's like, see, like I'm having a relationship with voices now. That seems like, wow, that's so big. But like, there was room to like, well, what do you want to do? The voice is telling me this. Well, what do you want to do? Oh, I can actually choose. I actually have, wow, I didn't realize I had so much choice here about how I want to respond to that. I mean, point is, it's, it's a really powerful tool for people. Wow. That's really cool. I don't, I don't I don't remember ever thinking like that. Like, I don't think I ever used that tool ever. Maybe I didn't. I don't remember. But that's really fascinating to be able to pull it out and kind of look at it separate from yourself. And well, I to guess I did but. find the times when like we were talking about this with anxious people. There are times when you aren't anxious. Yeah. So right. are you really that's, an anxious person? Yeah. <clears throat> you're you're not. You have a relationship sometimes with anxiety and maybe you're trying to reduce that relationship with anxiety, but you are not an anxious person. This is the other thing. This is super important. So like as parents, we have the ability to shape the conversation mm. a lot of the time. Right. And I think we don't necessarily use it to our advantage. So just what you were saying. One of the other most important things about narrative therapy is looking for the exceptions. Mm-hmm. So making like calling out and getting the person to realize like, so when when does depression not have a hold of your brain? Like when are you able to say to depression, you know what? I'm not dealing with you right now. I feel pretty good. And and that's we can do that as parents. We can call out the exceptions and remind our kids like, well, when do you feel best and build in more times to their day when we realize those things that are not whatever is that thing that we wish they had less right. relationship with. That's does that make sense? That, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> that does make sense to say when, when, when does this not apply? I actually do that with my kids too, is, mm-hmm. you know, and Dr. Nicely, the, the anxiety doctor for my kids said that too. You have to practice these skills yeah. when you're not anxious. Exactly. So when you're not about to fall asleep, practice talking to yourself logically. Practice, uh, you know, breathing. I think she may have given them some breathing stuff too. Practice that because when you need it, you're not going to have it mm-hmm. because it's going to be too, you're going to be too anxious. You may be too enmeshed in that mm-hmm. feeling and not separated from it enough to be able to handle it in the moment. So in those detached moments, I think that is where you gain the most power over something negative that affects you negatively right. in, your, in your psyche. You know, Isla did something really smart. I was really impressed with her. Um, right before school started, um, I said, you know, Isla, 
Isla takes piano one day a week. She has an art lesson every other week, one day. And she has a tutor one day a week. Um, so she has two days a week where she has something for sure every week after school. And then every other week she has a third, right? I don't think that's that much. She has mm-hmm. tennis on Saturdays too. So she's four things a week. So four hours of her week are, are not her own, she believes. So every time one of those things comes up, oh, I don't want to go. I get a piano, but I don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, well then let's stop doing it. Well, I don't want to stop doing it. I just don't want to do it. Okay, well, I think I said, well, what, what's causing the, these feelings? Because you love piano, you love the art tutor, you, you really enjoy tennis. You don't like the school tutor, but we've agreed that's a little bit necessary. So what's, what, what's the problem? And then one day she said, I feel like it's impinging and encroaching on my free time. I said, okay. Uh, because she was like, on those days I have that activity. I also still have to do homework and now I have no free time. I said, okay, well, how can we help you feel better about that? Do we need to have it a different time of day? Do we need to have more of a break before something starts? How, how, do, we, how do we mitigate these feelings? And she one day said, I've been thinking about that. And I think it would be helpful for me if every Sunday you would print out my calendar for the week so I can see the big open spaces of free time. Because mm. when I see the free time, I feel better. Because on the calendar, it's one little bitty square on this big, long rectangle. But in her brain, it's half the day. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. Every Sunday, I print a calendar for her week. And I will watch her, look at the calendar and go, okay. It's like she's wrapped her head Mm -hmm. around. I have way more free time than I think I Mm -hmm. do. And I've had almost, the only complaint I've had is one day where she had homework in four subjects. And she was like, I don't have time to do this tutor. And I'm like, well, a tutor will help you do your homework. You know, shift that into her lap instead of working on reading today. Say, I'm overwhelmed with homework. Can we can we do that instead this time? And she wasn't able to do that. She, she was like, I couldn't. She said, I chickened out. I couldn't talk to her about that. So, okay, there's, there's another time to learn a lesson, how to stand up for yourself and say, this is what I need. But I'm, I've been really surprised at how much it, how much relief it gave her. But how cool, knowing she's the one who's so visual, like to yes. how much that helps. Mm-hmm. I'm like that it? too. I totally get how that would help her because that would help me. Yeah. yeah. It's such a great thing you figured out. Well, she figured it out, really. That's great. As I just said, how can we How can we figure this out? Because I'm, I'm visual too, but I'm more of a, a verbal thinker. I talk in my head all the time. And the fact that you said she figured it out. I mean, Joss and I talk about this all the time as sort of like a philosophical differentiator between people. Like we are in the camp that kids mostly have what they need and will will figure out their solutions. I mean, a lot of times they need help from us. But I love that you just gave that example because a lot of the times they, they don't know that they know. But given the right questions and like space to figure it out they will a lot of the time like yeah. they it, it'll come up for them what do they need like yeah. they're they're less they've spent way less time shoving their personal needs down into the depths of whatever true. than we have mm-hmm. right so yeah. they're pretty much right there for yeah. them which is why they're they can be so snappy because it's yeah. like well, hold on i'm not getting my need met but thank god yeah so if we give them the space they will figure out what they need a lot of the time yeah you're right you you're right i yeah i guess so um 
I, th- I guess that's something I could do better is to, I mean, I do okay. I'm pretty good at it. But now that you put it in that context, if they know what they need, they can tell you what they need. I think I should ask more often, what do you need? As opposed to, I think you need a folder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you just put yeah. it in a folder. Right. Everything works better in a folder. When, you know, <laughs> right. that's just me. I put everything in a folder. You know? I mean, I also, right. it bears noting that there are certain situations where they don't know. Oh, totally. Right? And there are certain kids who, you know, just, they right. have, but, but yeah, I do think it's interesting if you give them the room to like come up with their own solutions. And then, you know, we talk a lot about modeling, but I think it's important also to, to talk in front of your kids about what's going on in your life and how you're reaching for solutions so that they see that you're also just so that they hear what's going on that they might not be able to see. Right. And I think there is, I think a lot of times people will say, whether it's an adult or a child, I don't know what I need. If I knew what I need, I'd be doing it. But that's not always, if you had to say, if you had to say right now what you need, what is it? When you push people like that, something Ah. will come up and it'll usually be, Usually the way I think of it is that like our logical minds have decided that there's 55 reasons why you can't actually get what you really need. So mm-hmm. why bother saying it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you push someone, it's like that inner wisdom part of you that's like, ah, that just blurts it out. Yep. It's the most revealing answer you can get. So that's I say true. that all the time. But if you had to say, what is it? If you had to say, and yeah. then it's like good stuff comes out. Yeah. First thing pops yeah. in your mind. Go. Yeah. I do that a lot with my yeah. kids. Yeah. First thing that pops in your mind, go. And they'll go, I, 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 I mean, there's a reason like Freud used free association, I can't talk, free association for that reason, because oh. it's circumventing your rational, logical mind. And it's just letting that stuff that's right there, but we're pushing down right. come out. So it's a powerful thing. It is. It's just a, I think it's a survival mechanism to not show all your cards, right? Yeah, right. It's completely about, it's like a base subconscious a function of the brain is yeah. not to show you what's going on. Yeah. So then you do kind of have to uncover it yeah. a little bit because you're not supposed to show that to everybody all the time. It's hard to know your own thoughts too if you don't practice doing that. Mm-hmm. That's right. You have to practice saying, no, here's what I need. And that's really hard, especially for kids. I know, you know, Isla's not a verbal kid. I mean, not that she's nonverbal, but she's not, she doesn't think in, in words. She thinks in in pictures. So for me to say, what are you feeling now? Half the time she goes, I have no idea. Right. Mm-hmm. And she really can't put words yeah. to that. She could probably draw it. She mm-hmm. could draw it mm-hmm. beautifully. Yes. But she can't tell you, what do I need? That calendar thing was her thinking probably over like, we had that conversation. It was probably two days later when she came back and said, you know what I think I need? I need a calendar. So I guess, but some that's kids- great too. Like, if there's space in the household, space, which yeah. there obviously is in yours, like you genuinely wanted to know, it wasn't just yeah. lip service. You were like, "Well, help me here. What do you need?" I mean, that doesn't have to be on the spot. It can, you know. But putting a little bit of the responsibility on them, like you got to tell me. I can't read your mind. Like, yes, which is which is again like that other thing about parenting. Like, you don't always have to know every answer. Just be willing to help them find right. their answer. Just show up and and ask. Right. Um, on the calendar, though, I think this there's another thing on the calendar is that a lot of times, and we talked about this with somebody close to me, kids start getting anxious because they don't know what's going on, ah. right? And so if you have a kid who's really anxious, and especially especially if there's a lot of chaos going on in your house, if there's a divorce going on or you know, relationship issues, financial issues, if you can sit down once a week or every day and just say, this is what's happening today, 
These are the knowns. These are the unknowns. These are the things I'm working on. These are the things that you are responsible for. This is what I'm responsible for. Then they can, not always, this is not, you know, one size fits all, but they can breathe a sigh of relief, you know? Right. So it's, just wanted to throw that out there mm-hmm. since you brought up the calendar. Yeah. Knowledge is power, isn't it? Not knowing is can be very scary, especially for some kids that have anxiety. Well, and routine. Scary. And routine, And just yeah. structure, routine. Yeah. 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 So if you have an anxious kid, right? First of all, I guess I should have asked this in the beginning of the podcast, but what does that look like? Like from if, so, if someone doesn't have an anxious person in their life and suddenly an anxious, your kid is, what behaviors would you say not emphatically, not exactly, but in general, like my, my kid's behavior with Georgia, she would get, and this may be an extreme example, she would get very wide-eyed at, when it's time to go to bed. Very like, I could see in her eyes she was getting scared. Mm-hmm. So she would have that behavior and she would start talking faster. And, and I started noticing that happening at night when it was getting closer to bedtime. Not that those are definitive anxiety related, but there are there any things that you could go, oh, you know, that might be, you may think about that as being a symptom or a sign of anxiety. Anything come to mind? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, you ahead, what you were going to say. I have some, yeah. I have a, I have a couple and I, I mean, they're not always, you have to, Kristen always uses the term emotional anthropologist because you have to really dig deep and be curious. But I think that if there are kids who are really negative about a lot of things in there that that you wouldn't necessarily be negative about that mm. might be a sign of, you know, just things aren't going well. Mm. And so there's this just, you know, constant list of tiny little trivial things. Um, like, you know, emotion- but, but, which, which it feels like it's overwhelming. Like the kid's so overwhelmed yeah. that like every little teeny tiny thing, like a hangnail is like, yeah, is, it's on the list. And as an outsider, you're like, like it's a hangnail, it's a paper right. cut. But like, it's because there's 700 things that day and they're all like, you can't distinguish between I actually broke my foot and I got a hangnail because it's all big. Right. Yeah. See what I mean, and when yeah. you're feeling so anxious and then on top of it, you get a hangnail. That is like, we have all been there where we have big emotions and then something tiny happens and we're like, fuck. Yeah. Right. So we throw a hairbrush. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. I did that. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> but I also think that, um, like inexplicable outbursts of, you know, tears or anger or those sorts of things mm-hmm. oftentimes is anxiety that doesn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. So that is the voice for anxiety. So like my son is the thing that's going on with my son is that he has these like just he falls apart. He's seven um, and and he's he's very articulate, but not about his emotions. Mm. And so what started happening is that if he gets conflicting bits of information from two people that he trusts, he has like severe anxiety about that because who can he trust in the world? Right. And so, and that just kind of came together for me tomorrow and or yesterday. And I was like, Oh, okay. I know how to like approach this now. But, but before that we were all just going, why is he crying over these things? We don't get it. Like right. what is going on with him? Right. I mean, so I think it can be like emotional volatility mm. where it's like, you can just see that the you know, the kid is like, it's can't like emo- being overreactive. Right. I think is, but then there's also the withdraw. It depends on the age. Cause also when kids withdraw. Right. And just, you know, don't want to like get quiet. I mean, so it's, I mean, I, I just think. Well, there's no right answer. I don't think right. there's no one yeah. answer. 
everything's everyone's an individual mm-hmm. but all those things are are helpful because then it's a sh- it really I guess it is a shift somewhat in behavior. That's the right? thing. It's like something different. Like right. All of a sudden, there's just something. Something's up. Something's yeah. different. But the the emotional outbursts and um, the overreacting as if to a hangnail, you've broken your whole hand. Mm-hmm. Those are really good clues. I think. But I think also, I mean, usually kids are school age by the time this is happening too. So there's right. probably another adult in the kid's life who would notice. Right. Like, you know, if it is test taking or something going on at school, there's going to probably be behavior that is different than it has been. Right. Um, although like the sleep thing for your daughters, was there an onset of that or was it kind of always or? No, it was an onset. I think um, I think Georgia's had to do with... Um, you know, it's funny. It happened at about the same age for both girls. So when Georgia was having sleep anxiety, Isla was like, good night. And then it was all about the same age. It was about fifth grade, sixth grade, right in there. Mm-hmm. Isla's was like sixth grade. So I wonder if part of it was hormones because so yeah. much is going on in their body. And it's like there's so there are so many other factors that we ratchet up at that age in school yes. that are legitimately anxiety producing, like we talked about. I mean, there's yes. the social pressure and the academic pressure and this all that stuff. Yeah. So usually it feels like if you dig around, oh, there was a lot. Suddenly there was a lot on this kid that is yeah. situational. Totally. And yeah. justifiable. Or a divorce or something. I mean, there's usually yeah. there's usually something that's like changing the dynamic of the way the kid is experiencing themselves in the world. Right. Something. Right. So that would be a clue, too, if you should not look at the kid, but look at the outside environment. Right. If there's a change in the behavior of the kid to say, well, what's really happening? And like you said, how do we relieve some of this? If you if you're in, you know, piano tutor, art tutor, um, what one of these can we remove? I'm, I don't need her to do any of them, but she likes doing all of them. So which one do we remove? What gives? Right. You know, if something needs to give for you, let it give. That's okay. You know, not everybody has the same level of strength or resilience. So some kids can do a lot more than other kids. Now that's okay. You know, I think some kids can handle playing soccer six days a week and be in the highly gifted program at school and succeed and have no stress. But that's not everybody. So I guess just looking at the kid. And so something else that just felt important, like when we're thinking about that there's a shift in your child's behavior. I mean, I think it is really important also to consider trauma. Like we're talking about right Right. now, not really big stuff necessarily. Mm -hmm. But um, I was just talking with someone yesterday and, um, you know, this girl actually had a rape experience (gasps) and had a mom who was really worried socially about looking bad that her daughter looked bad. So point is she didn't, this girl didn't get the love and support of that and is actually strangely fine. But my point is it was swept under the rug. And so sometimes there are things that are big that the kid is so either embarrassed about or whatever it is that you wouldn't know and Mm -hmm. that it's worth you know, just making sure, like, did something really big happen? Because right. then it can show up in really weird ways that you wouldn't ever even know. Like, what is that? And it's not necessarily a logical thing to, like, you know. So I just, I just want to say that. Like, right. sometimes if there's a shift in your kid's behavior, like, it's worth checking out. Like, did something really traumatic happen? Something really big yeah. going on. Yeah. Uh, do you think that eating habits are affected by 
anxiety? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And but you don't know which way. Right. Like it could be overeating or it could be undereating or it could be throwing up or whatever it is. I mean, it's, you know. I think so, too. Yeah. I think eating junk is another part Mm -hmm. of it. I will only eat pizza and fries. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not good for you, and that's not how our family culture works. But that's how you're managing right anxiety or or yep. your emotions in some way. Mm-hmm. That's hap- that happens in my house when people get stressed. They mm-hmm. they will not touch a green item ever if they're stressed. It must right. be it must be white, yellow, or orange, and that's the only thing. And I'm like, come on, you you still have to eat healthy. And they just it's almost like they physically can't eat the broccoli. I think that's a really interesting conversation to have is what do you what happens to you when you get stressed? Yes. What do you uh-huh. do? Because I remember when my oldest first went to college and he was stressed about things. And I was like, you know the basic things you need to do. He's like, I know I have to eat healthy and I have to exercise and I have to sleep. Like he just knew that about himself. When yeah. he doesn't, he just, like his mind just spins. He's like, I know, I'm, I'm literally going to go get some vegetables because he, you know, he just didn't and he yeah. wasn't, he didn't have me there reminding him and he was like, oh yeah, I know. But those basic things, you want your kid to own them yeah. and your kid to realize like, oh yeah, when I get stressed, I only want to eat whatever, but then it makes me feel crappy and it's like a cycle. Right. Because it is like a cycle. Yeah. And you, when you're the parent, you can start to look for that. And I mean, it didn't, it took me into my thirties before I realized what mine was. Mine is that I stop eating. So I always tell my friends that I'm like, if you see me and I'm too thin, something is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that was my problem. Well, that's what everybody (laughs) says. That's not my problem. (laughs) I was, when I was in college, I am almost, I don't know, I'm about five, seven. And I, not because I had an eating disorder, but because I was depressed about something, weighed 89 pounds. I know, horrifying. And if at that point I had realized when I get depressed, I stop eating, I could have had a support system that was, you know, shoving sandwiches in my mouth. Right. Anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is good to, to ask the question of yourself and to your children. What do you do mm-hmm. when you are stressed? Right. What what's the first thing that falls to the wayside that, you know, is healthy? Right. And what can you, you know? communicate when you're feeling well to your support network about how you show up in the world when things aren't going well for you? Because oftentimes you need some help. Like when I was in college, I needed people to give me some food. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I I get I did this podcast, it was one of my earlier podcasts, um, with two friends about your twenties versus your thirties versus your forties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so many people email me about that podcast that I think I want to record another episode with two different guests. Because I don't think that kids today understand the learning curve that happens in your 20s. Oh, gosh. Uh-huh. It's so, so steep. Yeah. It's so steep. And everybody feels lost. And everybody yeah. feels alone. And everybody feels stupid. And no one tells you. Everybody feels bo- broke. Exactly. And you just came out of college, which was like camp. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, it was like camp. It was like party all the time, camp. And then the world is cold and cruel. And it's crazy. <laughs> and no one prepares you. Even the parts that you're talking about, about anxiety. What are, what are the things that I stop doing that's right. good for me when I get in an anxious place? Yeah. So that you can go, oh, I stopped working out. I need to go back to working yeah, out. Yeah, well, right. And then the counterpart of that is what do I do when I'm feeling really great? What are the habits that I have in my life? Right. So that you can start to get some of them, them back. back in. Yeah. I'm a big labeler too. I, I know you said that earlier. Labels are like, life-changing to me. And I know they're not always healthy. I know uh, sometimes my therapists will go, 
we don't need to put a label on it. And I always go, but I do. Because <laughs> if I have a label, then I can go, this is what I'm doing. As long as it's not permanent. As long as yes. it's one no, of those No, no, it's not permanent. Can, yeah, yeah. No, totally, totally. Not I am this. Right. Not those kind of labels, but, or maybe I do that. I don't know. But anyway, those labels of like healthy, this goes yes. under that label. Yeah. Not healthy. This goes stress. This is what I do. You know, this is when I'm not stressed. This is what I do. This is how I feel. I know for me, when I get stressed, now I know I start stuttering and um, <laughs> I definitely breathe totally differently. So for me to stop in the middle of the day and just take those five deep breaths like you're talking about will calm me down so much. And I cannot remember to do it when mm-hmm, I'm having a stressful mm-hmm. day. It's the hardest thing. And, you know, for other people to know that it's really hard for everybody, I think is also helpful. So you go, Okay, it's not just me. Yeah, I'm not the only loser who just doesn't work out, stays up till 2 a.m. and eats pizza for four days straight and then beats themselves up because you know that you just got yourself back in this big rut. And now it's four days, so it's like so much harder on the next day to do it. Like exactly. you just, like, just like grows. It's like, yeah. Because yeah. five is a better number than four. <laughs> well, five is the number of struggle. I don't know. Five is the number of struggle. I didn't know that. Oh, it is. Um. You're going back to the bathroom again. again you guys, I drink a lot of coffee. I've been <laughs> since, okay, so, so I'm doing this. I'm doing a workout program with my boyfriend. We're bulking up, which is he, people laugh at that because I. But I really do want my arms to be bulkier, and I've been getting up really, really early and either going to the gym or running a bunch. And now I'm my body is all messed up, so I've basically been up all night and I'm just <laughs> coffee. <laughs> so I'm a little off today. It's because I'm amped up. With well, that, we should probably I, wrap oh. up anyway. Oh, then it's, I can stay for this part. That's <laughs> pretty close. Um, anything else? Uh, anything else we need to talk about? I had a second question when I came up with the what are the signs of anxiety, and now now it slipped my mind. Um, I should have written. We it can down. You, we can follow up in the next podcast. We can follow up. Well, I know I live with a, a couple of anxious people, and I would say, as someone who lives with people who have real anxiety, diagnosed Bert's diagnosed anxiety disorder, like has it for real. Um, it's, it's hard to do, but my advice is to never take anything personally Mm. ever. So when they are in an anxious space, maybe with your child too, and they're not accepting help, they're not listening, they're not thinking clearly, they're not thinking rationally or, um, of this world, to have compassion and to say, I don't know what it's like to feel what they're feeling. And I know that those feelings are very real. So I try to stay very normal and very life is okay and everything's good so they can look at me and see that I'm calm. But it has never helped my situation to say, oh, you're fine. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. You're going to be fine. This is totally fine. That has only made it worse. But I think it's super valid to try to then, if you are a person who lives with someone, to really then take care of yourself and really know what, because it's really hard to be in the space of that much energy coming at you. And they almost, an anxious person almost needs you to feed into it. Yes, they They, do. They're like, keep fighting until you, they get you there. Yes. So like how, you know, whatever tools that you can use on your own to just put the force field around you and like have a visual for like, I'm in my force field. Yeah. Right, right. Seriously. Yes. Well, I always think in the moment, this is not about me. This has nothing to do with me, even if I'm the target. 
sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I can talk to him about this later. Yeah. Yeah. When he's calm down. Because you know he can't hear. He can't hear it. And you know, I need to be heard. I really need to be heard Mm -hmm. and understood. I grew up not being heard or understood ever in my household. So I married someone that can hear and understand me unless he's in that space. Mm -hmm. So if you can find the patience to wait until they have calmed down they can hear you, but they yeah. can't hear you in that moment. Right. And your job in that moment is to lovingly sit next to them, not go into agreement with them, not go into agreement with whatever crazy they're talking about, but to say, I'm not leaving you and I love you and I'm here and represent a normalcy and a balance in that moment. That's I, beautiful. That's what I do anyway. And then if I'm not able to talk to him in in a time period that I need for me, I go to therapy and I go, this happened and this sucked for me. And this is why this sucked for me. And at a certain point, I always do talk to Burr about it always, but it may not be in the time that I need it to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the only kind of sucky part is that sometimes this anxiety lasts for three or four days. And I'm like, I've got to sit with this for three or four days. Yeah. Nope. I'm going to go see Jackie. Jackie, guess what? <laughs> and then she'll go, that's not okay. But we always know. He always comes around and you always are able to get your need met. So you just have to wait a little bit. And that's true. So I don't know. It's hard to live with someone who I don't have any anxiety like he does. I really don't. I just don't have it. Um, But his sister is very similar. And I know from watching her that she doesn't want to hear it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. That's not what she wants to hear. She wants to hear I'm not leaving. And I understand that these feelings are very valid for you. And they're very scary right now. That's what she's told me that. That's what I need in the moment is for someone to validate how I'm feeling. And then I start calming down. Mm -hmm. But if you tell me what I'm feeling is wrong, I start amping up. It gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, it escalates it. So... I think it's really hard to sit in it too when you become the target, right? It is very hard. We talked about this once that my ex, um, because I come from a family of yellers and he does not. And I've gotten way, way, way better, except for the hairbrush incident, but um, (laughs) so much better. But I asked him, I said, how did you, you know, deal with that? Like, how did you deal with me when I would just be full of rage and he would stay so calm? And he was like, I listened to everything that you were saying, but I treated it like it was white noise. Like it just, I would visualize that it was just, you had to say these things and they didn't mean what they were. Right. And so I would just think this is just white noise coming out of her mouth. And he didn't ignore me. It wasn't like he ignored me because that would have not been great, but he right. didn't take it, you know, as for himself, Personally. he was like, it's just white noise. Yeah. I, I'm very much that way. I only accept what I believe is accurate. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if, if I don't believe it's accurate, because clearly one person's barometer is not working when they're in that yeah. mode yeah. of extreme anxiety mm-hmm. or emotion, their barometer is off. They're all about survival and they don't have any right. other tool other than what no. they're doing that's no. the tool they have he's they're in the survival mode yeah. when he gets in that place so then i just go my bar- barometer is probably the most accurate now i'm not always right that's not what i mean but some of what he says when he when he gets really upset is accurate like he's upset about i'm not the killer of dreams <laughs> right <laughs> but i understand what he meant by that what was under that was i'm the person that goes yeah, you may have made $1,000 this week, but we only keep 400 
So we really got to function from the place of we have 400 bucks. And that's like killer of dreams. I'm like, no, (laughs) just pragmatic. I'm just very practical. So and aren't you lucky? (laughs) Because if not, you'd be totally broke. (laughs) But it's that then I go, uh, this is not I, I get it. I understand what's going on for you. And I'm not I'm not allowing any of that to attach to me. Um, I, I got it. That, that is what I do too. I didn't treat yeah. it as white noise. I just refused to accept what was inaccurate. What was, what was fully emotionally driven without a purpose, you know, without a real right. message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do now when I have, cause I have some people in my life who are real prone to explosions and I now am like, Oh, visualize the white noise. And it helps me stay not calm. respond. Yeah. When I'm like, this is, this is you. Right. And with a child, I think that's really yes. helpful. With a child, yes. you mm-hmm. can go, uh, I see all of your emotions and all the cuckoo that's happening here. This is not reality. It's your reality, but it's not maybe the actual reality that's happening on this planet. Right. So, yeah, uh, Bert's sister is like, I just need someone to say, I totally understand your your feelings are very strong about mm-hmm. this. Just to validate that their feelings or not to validate their feelings are right because they're not always right, but that they are not wrong for having them. Right. Isn't that great right? though that she can like express to you, here's what I need you to do right now or here's what How I need How did that right come now. about that she told you that? You just asked or? No, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I kept you from the bathroom. Now you're going anyway. Um, she has, um, I think this came up with the context of her son. She has an almost two-year-old and he got, um, when we were on vacation together, he broke out in a rash all over his body. But he had no fever, no glassy eye, no diarrhea, no no symptom other than the rash. And I was like, oh, just give him Benadryl and see if it goes away. And then he maybe he touched something or ate something. But there's no other, mm-hmm. there's nothing else alarming. And, uh, and that made her feel invalidated because she was very panicked mm-hmm. that her only child was covered and she okay. needed to go to urgent care mm-hmm. and she needed to, she needed an answer. And so when that later she calmed down, she got, I don't know that she got mad at me directly, but she got upset at the situation. And later she said, you know, um, I need to know that you, that you know that my feelings are, va- are like you're, that my feelings aren't wrong. They may not be accurate, but that right. I'm not wrong. Right. Right. So a cu- about two weeks later, he got another rash, this time with the fever and this time with diarrhea. And I was like, okay, let's go to urgent care. This is this is too much for me. There's too mm-hmm. many things going on. I'll go with you. Her husband was out of town. So I went with her and she was really, really upset the whole time. I'm really panicked because she's like, Bert, she has some anxiety stuff and I just took care of the boy. I took care of him and we counted signs and counted faucets and counted doorknobs and counted all day long and kept him calm. And the doctor was like, yes, yeah, just some little bug. Give him Benadryl and he'll be okay. And she was like, thank you for letting me have my feelings. Because, mm, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing that mattered was that Teddy was okay, was that he was not freaked out. And there was no reason to freak out, but she ne- she couldn't not freak out. But it's just so cool to be able to express it. Yeah, it's really very um, emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. of her to be able to express it. Um, She Bert can express it too sometimes. Most of the time, he just doesn't. He has a harder time realizing he's in it when he's in it. It's very real when he's in it. And then the next day, I'll be like, I think I may have been overreacting. (laughs) Oh, you think, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Mister Self Corrector? 
You're right. You are totally overreacting. I am not the killer of dreams. I said you were the killer of dreams. Oh, you're totally not the killer of dreams. Oh, yeah, I'm like, I know. That's why I don't really listen to half of what you say when you're in that space because I know who I am. So, well, thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back from the bathroom. <laughs> you're quick. Yeah, you yeah. are quick. What do you just go in the pot up there? Like, right? just, just she go jumps pee in, in her pool. Squat <laughs> <laughs> in, in the pool. That's okay, right? Totally fine with me. <laughs> um, and my other piece of advice would be: learn from me. If you feel you are out of your scope, go get some help right away. Yeah, don't wait a year. It's really, really, truly is one of my probably top three regrets as a parent is that I didn't get her help earlier. And by the way, it might just be the one visit to be like, oh, you don't need anything or whatever. But totally. it's like, just to know, just if you have that thing, that nagging feeling, yeah, go. Yes. Be open to that earlier <laughs> than I was. Somebody once said to me, and this was like a big turning point for me, and the guy who said it was a real asshole, but still, I appreciate what he said was, he said, Jocelyn, why would you ever let anything stand between yourself and your happiness? And it was around the issue of getting help because I was just like too proud to do it. It was like, why? And it was like, just that phrase was like, oh, you're right. Like, I'm not going to let my pride stand between me and my happiness. Really mm. excellent question. Why would you let anything stand between, between you and, and your, your happiness? happiness? Again, he was a real asshole, but. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly but that enlightened was a good thing to say. I feel like I should call him out too. He's something I'm still mad at. Oh, yeah? Oh, well. Hey, asshole. Thanks for the one good phrase. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Leanne. (laughs) 